Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says this, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, don't be hard on Mary and Joseph. They were traveling with a bunch of relatives. They just figured, you've been there, you went to the mall, and your kid's like, can I go with uncle? Can I go with auntie? Or what? They just assumed Jesus was uncle and auntie, thinking he was in their company. They traveled a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me? Jesus was a smart mouth. Are you searching for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Leave it up. Let me just pause it here. Who was Jesus' father? Who was Jesus' other father? Joseph. Here is Joseph looking for Jesus. And he says, don't you know I have to be in my father's house? And he wasn't in Joseph's house. He was just like, yeah, you my daddy, but I have another father. Let me just pause here. It takes a real man to raise his children. Any man can have kids. It takes a real father to raise his children. It is the heart of God to raise somebody else's children. Like, these aren't even my biological kids, but because I have a passion and a heart of God, I'm that's what Joseph did. He said, this isn't my biological son, but because I've been mandated by God, this is my assignment. I'm going to raise this boy as my... There is nothing closer to the heart of God. He says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient. Somebody say obedient. Obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Another quick caveat. Uh, if God likes you but people don't, you're not godly. Let me say it again. If God likes you but people don't, you're not godly. Because the goal is to gain favor with God and man. Now, if everybody likes you and God can't stand you, you're going to hell. So you need to figure that one out first. <laughs> Make that the first priority. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this opportunity to be in your presence with your children, God. This is family. God, you said that nothing can stand against us because you are for us. When the enemy tries to flood us, God, you're going to raise up a standard against him. God, we're grateful. We're thankful. And I pray in this moment that you would take these words, you'd make them supernatural. That you'd heal. That you'd transform. That you'd give vision. We'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, Baltimore. Somebody shout amen. Good deal. So we're in week three. Somebody say week three. Week three of a series called It's complicated. It's complicated. We're talking about relationships. The first week we talked about friendships. Last week we talked about love and romance. And I've already heard that some people, particularly men, are manipulating last Sunday's message. And you're using it out of context. 
Some of your wives or girlfriends went home and said, hey, we don't, we don't cuddle like we used to. We, we don't hold hands like we used to. And some of you men are like, that's so stage one. We are not in stage one anymore. That was not the point of the message. You failed last week's test. Go back, take it again. Do not collect 200. Today, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. I have a message called Three Complicated Questions. Three Complicated Questions. And here's the thing. There's two things about relationships. They're painful and they're complicated. If you've lived long enough, you've experienced relationships that are just, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, there's a painful aspect of it. And why is that? Because it's complicated. You ever looked at somebody else's relationship and you could figure out the solution really easily? It's just like, you're, you're jacked up, he's jacked up, fix it. You're, you're just a bad parent, like stop it. Like looking at somebody else's relationship, it's so easy to fix, but when it comes to us, it is complicated. Today I want to talk about the complications of raising children. We're going to talk about parenting. And if I preach today's message correctly, accurately, and in the anointing of God, everybody will walk out of this service believing in whooping your kids. That is the goal. That is the goal of today's message. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm 60 years old. I have a 40-year-old child. I said what I said. Maybe... <laughs> One of the reasons why I kind of held back the, the topic or the title is because as soon as people hear about parenting, honestly, so many people check out. Now, most, some of you, maybe 50% of our church, you have children and you're just like, can you, can you help me out or stay out of my home? I don't need your advice. I'm doing fine by myself or whatever it may be. But 50% of you are just like, hey, my, my kids are grown. Like, it's too late. I already messed them up and now they're on their own. And if, if I, my prayers are answered, they're going to move out my basement by this weekend, and then I'm really not going to have nothing to do with them. Others of you, you're just like, hey, I, I, I don't have children. Uh, that's kind of in the future or whatever it may be. But here's what I've discovered. If you don't have to get ready, you stay ready. When something comes, you're not asking like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And as we talked about last week, of the five top things that people argue about in a marriage, children are in the top five. And I'll tell you in a second why. But hear me, if you're not married in the room, if you you're, have kids in your future, now's the time to figure out how you want to lead your family and have that conversation before you put a ring on it. That way, if they say something crazy, you're just like, okay, good to know you. I'm out. I also know when it comes to raising children, it's an area that's just painful for so many people. Maybe you've had a child as a parent's worst nightmare that passed away before you did. Maybe you've experienced a miscarriage. Your doctor has told you, hey, you and your spouse, you're just never going to be able to have kids. Well, here's what you have to understand. Wherever there's pain, there's God. He said that he is always close to the brokenhearted. And I'll tell you something about Destiny Church. We, we, we got some great areas and we got some weaknesses, but one of the areas that we're good in is pain. You do not have to go through this journey, through this battle by yourself. You have a community of people that want to love you, cover you, and pray for you. Somebody say amen. I actually had a really close friend of mine that over the last four years, him and his wife were battling with infertility. The doctor literally told them, you will never have children. I don't know, sometimes the faith just gets on me. I'm just like, who do you think you are? You can tell me it's unlikely. Don't tell me never because you don't know. We called me over three weeks ago. 
He said, we've been holding it just so we could get through the first trimester, but we are in the second trimester. We are pregnant. It is a medical miracle. I cannot tell you, even in Destiny Church, how many people it is their story that a doctor said one thing, but God said something completely different. So wherever you are, and then here's why this message applies to everybody. The last thing is this. You is somebody's kid. Pastor, don't remind me. Well, let me remind you of this. You are God's child. As a believer, he said, you've received a spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, this is how you pray. God up in the sky. Nope. King of the world, creator of heaven and earth. No. He said, here's how you pray. Dad, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We have to remember that we're not just children, we're not just followers of God, but we're children of Almighty God. And just like a physical parent is supposed to parent their child, God, your father, desires to parent you. So today I'm going to help you understand how God be whooping you and you don't even realize it. You think it's the enemy. (laughs) And how God is covering you and providing you and leading you and all those different good stuff. Now, I don't know what Sesame Street does anymore, but back in the day, Sesame Street used to have a show that's sponsored by a number. Today's show is sponsored by the number five, the number five. Well, today's message has a sponsor. Today's message is sponsored by Destiny Kids. They asked, Pastor, can you preach at least one message this year about raising children? Because we are tired of these people dropping their bad behind kids off in Destiny Kids for an hour and 15 minutes. Then they have a nerve to go to Grove Track and leave these little aliens in here. And we can't whoop them, and they've never whooped them. So we have to just sit here and, and withhold goldfish from them. So this message is on behalf of Destiny Kids. It's called Whoop Your Kids So We Don't Have To. <laughs> Pray for me. I'm all the way joking. Not really. They really said that. But I do want to say that I'm not preaching this from a place of being an expert. I have two beautiful children. My oldest is Zoe. My second is Roman. Y'all, Roman nearly got kicked out of Destiny Kids last week. Like, I said, wait, what? He pushed the teacher, y'all. This kid, don't, don't laugh. He's gross. This kid said, listen, I don't even want these little smurfs. Bring on the big one. I got this. All that to say... Raising children is complicated. The pastor's kids are ratchet. Pray for them. They got good days, and then they got days they act like their mama. We're trying to pray. (laughs) Pray for me. The reality is it's complicated. There's two really painful things in life, money and kids. If I say, hey, today's message is on tithing. Or... I'm going to help you be a better parent. I'm a good parent myself. But can we be honest? Two lessons we never got leaving our homes, most likely. How to manage finances and how to raise godly kids. We got examples. Here's the problem. You will never marry someone who had the same example of raising kids as you did. You know how they say opposites attract? And then you get married and opposites attack. (laughs) And you realize, how could you be more different from me? And how could you be more wrong? (laughs) This is the only way that you do it. You'd be amazed. Maybe you grew up in one of those houses where if you looked across the room funny, you got whooped. (laughs) Say something. I'll give you something to cry about. 
Anybody grew up with one of those, I'll give you something to cry about, Holmes? You're like, I'm crying right now. Why do you need to give me something else to cry about? And then others of you were raised in homes where you got to express your feelings. You had an adult that said, so tell me how you feel. Okay, and how did that make you feel? My wife is like, why do you talk so much? And I said, because I haven't been able to express my feelings for 21 years of my life. I got a lot of feelings pent up and I got to get them all out. And then you get these two opposite experiences and you bring them together and you got to raise those Smurfs and here we go. And then so many of us get caught up on the fact of this is the way my parents did it. And it may not have been the best way, but they did the best that they can. Can I, can I get up in your living room for a second? This is going to be hard to hear. Sometimes the best they can do just wasn't good enough. And that's a harsh reality. We judge everybody else by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Nobody wants a president that said, I did the best I could. Nobody wants a police officer that says, I did. No, no, no. We need you to do the job. And sometimes we feel by saying that our parents didn't do it God's way and certain, we feel like we're dishonoring them. No, you're honoring them by keeping their value in your life and, and keeping the, their, their, their esteem in your life. But just because it was the way that you were raised doesn't mean it was the best way. And it doesn't mean that it's God's way. So here's what I'm asking. I'm asking church that we would be teachable according to God's word. What does teachable mean? Willing to relearn what we think we already know. I know how to do that. I get it. But would you be willing to relearn? This verse jumped out of me as we preparing this message. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, it says this. Though he, being Jesus, was a son. And when it says a son, it doesn't mean he was Mary and Joseph's son. It means he was the son of God. In other words, even though Jesus was God, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation by all who obey him. One of the problems with us as believers is we read the Bible wrong. We read the Bible back to front, meaning we know how the story ends. David kills Goliath. So when a 16-year-old boy says, let me go fight this guy with five stones and a sling, we're like, oh, he's going to win because we see the end of the story. But if we understood that it wasn't guaranteed that he was going to win and he was still going to go, it would completely change the faith that he exhibited in that moment. Because we know that Jesus died on the cross, that he healed the sick, raised the dead, turned water into wine, and was the creator of the universe, we miss the fact that he was also a baby that did not fast forward zero to 30. And for 30 years, he lived in obscurity, submitted to earthly parents. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible said that Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered. Now, are you saying that Jesus got whoopings? I don't know. You got to talk to Joseph about that. But the Bible says that he learned obedience. Now, all you theologians that like to send emails you can send all of those emails. Um, where should I send them? send them? Send them to Darius. <laughs> now, there is no way that Jesus learned obedience because he was the perfect one. He never sinned. That's my pew theologian voice. That word obedience 
does not mean that he was disobedient. That word learned doesn't mean, forgive me, it doesn't mean that he had to figure it out. That word learned means that he experienced for the first time. Before Jesus came to earth, he didn't have to obey anybody because he was God. And here on earth, he had to learn what it was. Could you imagine obeying someone you created? Mary talking about, Jesus, go clean your room. I made you. (laughs) Could you imagine how awkward his childhood was? Here's Jesus at the neighborhood pool party, and Mary's like, Jesus. Jesus, what? Get in the water. Stop walking on the water. Get in a pool. <laughs> like Jesus learned. The Bible says that he suffered and he learned through his suffering obedience. That he learned wisdom. Here's the point of your message. Your child ain't Jesus. <laughs> so if Jesus had to learn obedience, how much more are children? But here's what we miss out. And some of this is kind of 21st century Northeast stuff. Where we just live in a time in history where everybody's trying to build an empire. Everybody trying to be Bonnie and Clyde as if you don't know how the movie ends. Y'all, they died. You don't want to be Bonnie and Clyde. I'm just trying to, you know, build my deal. And, And sometimes we get so ambitious on building that we miss out on the value of family. And the blessings of church. Here's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes. It says if you build something great, but you don't focus on your kids, you'll have no one to live on that legacy. And you would have built something in vain. Here's what the Bible says about children in Psalm 127. It says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. I am telling you. One of the greatest privileges you'll ever have in your life is releasing a child into their destiny. Pastor, I really don't want to hear this message. I'm past the age of having children and I don't have kids or my kids are estranged and I don't really have much to do with kids right now. If only I could explain to you how many orphans there are, how many people who feel parentless, that they're saying, you don't have to have my DNA, you don't have to have my last name. But if I could just find somebody to put an arm around my shoulder, and it release me into my destiny. Hey, find you a dream team. Not because we need you to park cars or because we need you to rock babies. Because there's someone in there that needs you to put your, their arm around them and say, hey, your dad may not be following Christ right now. Your mom may not be alive any longer. But I'm here to help push you into the destiny that God has for you. That's why church was always meant to be a family. Three quick questions. Three quick questions that every child needs answered. Every child needs these three quick questions answered. By the way, if you're a 79-year-old child, you're still asking these questions. The first one is this. Do you want me? Do you want me? The first question every child is asking, even if they don't know how to put it in words or articulate it, the first thing that they're asking is, do you want me? Another way of saying it is that, do you love I'll be honest with you, if my daughter Zoe came and said, Daddy, do you love me? Do you want me? I'd have two quick reactions. My first reaction is I'd be heartbroken because I'd feel like I failed. Simply by the fact that you have to ask me, do I love you, means that I'm not articulating it properly. I'm not demonstrating it properly. I'm failing as a parent if you have to ask because you should already know. That would be my first emotion. My second emotion would be utter frustration. Frustration. 
Do I love you? Do you have shoes on your feet? <laughs> Come on, I ain't gonna have. You got you naked right now, you got clothes on. What'd you eat for dinner on? Look at this roof. Dude, this is L-O-V-E. Every time the mortgage comes in. L-O. <laughs> Come on now. It seems like a dumb question. It's like you're my kid. You're my last name. Of course I love you. Of course I want you. But what we don't understand is two things. As children, they don't see what we see. You're like, do you see all that I'm doing for you? No. No, actually, I don't. All I know is that you leave before I wake up. And when I get home, you're not here. And you tell me it's for me, but I don't see that. I don't understand it. I'm seven. What do you want from me? The other thing as Christians, so often we're blind to the society that we're in, where it's become a political tool instead of a moral issue, whether children are wanted or not, whether they should be kept or not, whether they've come at a convenient moment or not. You may not realize this, but for the last 40 years, as a nation, we've actually been screaming, we don't want you. So it's actually a valid question of do you want me? Another thing that we don't realize as Christians is that we live every day of our lives on a battlefield. Because we can't see our enemy, because it's not an enemy of flesh and blood, we just assume we're good. But the Bible says that there is a thief and he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. His name is Satan. And I know hate is a strong word, but I hate Satan. And here's why I hate him, because he doesn't pick on people his own size. Because Satan is a coward, he has taken the tactic of attacking in infancy what he doesn't want to deal with in maturity. As you look throughout scripture, the nation of Israel is in slavery to Egypt. God says, I'm going to raise up a deliverer through Moses. Satan didn't know who the deliverer was going to come from, so he made a decree through Pharaoh. Hey, every Hebrew boy, two years and over, must be drowned in the river. Because he said, I know God's going to send a deliverer, and I don't know who that deliverer is going to be, but I want to hit him as a baby before he could become a man and do real damage. Fast forward to the New Testament. Remember, there was a star in the sky, and the Magi came and said, we heard that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming. Is he in Herod's palace? Herod said, no, he's not here, but when you find him, can you come and tell me? I want to worship him. Next thing you know, there's a decree from Herod through Satan to execute every Hebrew boy again, two years and under, because God was raising up a deliverer, and he said, I don't know which one of these are a deliverer, but I'm going to wipe them all out because I prefer to fight a baby than to fight an adult. And we think for the last 40 years it's been a voting issue or a political issue or a political party. No, the enemy of our soul knows that God is raising up a deliverer in our society. And he said, I don't know which one it is, but I'm going to wipe them all out before they get a shot. You don't have to say amen. It's the truth. What you have to understand is the enemy is attacking your kids every single day through whispers in their ear. You're not wanted. You're not loved. You're not valued. That's why your parents don't have time for you. That's why they prefer to be on their phone than talk to you. That's why they didn't have time to show up to that practice. That's why they won't help you with their homework. Somebody say, prove it. Show of hands. How many people between the age of 3 and 18, you either considered or attempted running away? Come on, come on. How many, how many, come on. Now. That's like the entire room. My hand is up, by the way. 
Now, 25% of us who just raised our hands, it's not because we didn't feel wanted. It's because we broke that vase. <laughs> and we figured it was safer for me out in those streets than to stay in this house and wait for mom and dad to get back home. I'm out. Some of y'all actually attempted to run away. I got to planning and packing. I never actually did it, because here's the thought that crossed my mind at nine years old. Who's going to cut my chicken up? <laughs> There's nobody out there to cut my chicken up. I'm the only one who can cut my chicken up. Or my mama, okay, I'm going to stay. But literally, it's the enemy whispering in your ear. You're not valued. You're not wanted. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the enemy whispers. So the only way that a whisper can be heard is if there's complete silence. But if there's a voice that is echoing in your children's ear, I love you, I want you, you're valued, you're special, you belong to me, that whisper is drowned out. Do you want me? Last week, we talked about how love is demonstrated. Love is demonstrated through hugs and kisses and physical affection. Love is also demonstrated through commitment, patience, their kids, patience. He's only 16. I know he has a mustache. I've been 16 before. He got no common sense, just patience, kindness. Gentleness, trust, honesty. Stop lying to your kids. They know you're a liar. <laughs> Perseverance. I'm going to send you with your uncle. No, don't do that. Stick it out. Because you love him. Luke 2.48 says this, so when they saw him, they were amazed. And Mary said, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Hear me. If you ever feel like a bad parent, just read your Bible. At least you didn't lose God. You've done some jacked up stuff, but you've never lost the Messiah. Mary and Joseph, y'all, they lost God for four days. You were messed up. You go four days. You didn't notice. Nobody pulled on your shirt. And they finally said, we've, we've missed you. We've been anxiously searching for you. Here's why. Because no matter if it's hugs, kisses, patience, kindness, whatever, love is spelt this way, T-I-M-E. I want you, so I'm going to spend time with you. And here's what I've discovered. The older they get, the more difficult it is to spend time with them. Because when they're nine months, they, go, they can't move. Okay, nine months, they're walking. Forgive me. Uh, three months. <laughs> I remember when Zoe was two years old. Every time I would come home, I, I mean, nine-hour day, three-hour meetings. I got backpack and groceries, and I'm walking in, and Zoe was, Daddy! And she would take about eight steps back. And I mean, come leaping off the top stairs of our wooden staircase. <laughs> I mean, just full And I'm like, I didn't play baseball. What are you doing? That's when she was two. Now she's four and a half. I walk in the house, and I'm like, Zoe! 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 I walk around the corner. That little no-rent-paying little smurf sitting on my sofa, watching my cable. Talking about, what's up, Dad? What you bring me? I'll give you a what's up. 
as they grow and they develop and they mature and they have friends and all, it becomes more complicated to spend time with. But the harder it is to spend time, the more valuable that time is. I'm 34 years old, and I remember that day that my dad came to my freshman basketball game. He came to a lot of my games, but he worked during the day, and he missed some of them. But I remember he came to this one game, and it was the worst game I'd ever had in my life. Uh, for some reason, varsity was down a player, and they figured they were going to put this freshman soccer player on the varsity basketball team. I get out there. It's the third quarter, first time I stepped on the court. <laughs> it was bad, y'all. It was real bad. We were playing Arlington Baptist School. Bunch of heathens. I mean, they were Christian school my foot. We get out there on the court. The game's going. And, and somebody on my team, they accidentally passed me the ball. I say accidentally because the coach made it clear, abundantly clear, we do not pass the ball to Steven. But for some reason, he made a mistake. He thought because I had the same jersey as him that I could help him win this game. He was sadly mistaken. He passed me the ball. Step number one, I caught it. It was good. It was good. We're on a good, good track. And next thing I know, the crowd starts screaming, and they go, 10, 9, 8, 7. I said, this is my moment. I heard the Eminem song playing in the background. Dum, 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 dum. The movement, the moment, I own it. I was like, yeah, let's do this. I didn't even have enough time on the clock to dribble the ball. It was only 10 seconds. I heaved that ball towards that goal. It went over the basket, <laughs> over the backboard, over the ref, into the bleachers. The entire room erupts in laughter. There were three minutes left on the clock. They were just counting down 10 seconds because they knew an idiot had just touched the ball. The room is dying laughing. I look for my dad. My dad was always strange. He would never sit in the stands with the other parents, probably because he was embarrassed to say he was my father. He was over in the corner. I looked at him, and he was the only person in the room not laughing. He was smirking, but he wasn't laughing. And I remember at the end of that third quarter, my dad came over to the bench. My dad never respected any coach that I ever had. He's like, I'm your coach. Look at me, boy. <laughs> he said, you did good. You did good. Okay, next time, let's calm down. Let's dribble the ball, and let's give it to somebody else, okay? You got it. But to this moment, I, I remember the time that he invested. Because time says that I matter to you. Time says that you care. I won't get all emo on y'all, but I'm a grown dog old man. I preach to thousands of people every Sunday, y'all. Oh my gosh, message was amazing. It was so good, but it changed my life. So what? I don't hear what you have to say. I'm waiting for my dad to call me after church on Sunday. My dad calls me and says, man, that was a great message. And I'm grateful for when you say it. When my dad says it's just like, that was a great message. <laughs> if that is an adult, how much more is your four-year-old? Your seven-year-old? Your 27-year-old? Here's the thing that we don't realize. That the way that we demonstrate our love to our kids is the same way that God demonstrates his love to us. By spending time with us. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, and it says that Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Every single day, God would come down from heaven to spend time with his kids, Adam and Eve. But in this day in particular, Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
As they matured and they ran into sin, they tried to be mindful when your kids are avoiding you. Something's going on. It's not just puberty. It's not just, oh, ma. No, something's going on. What we don't realize, it's in God's presence. It's time with God that we experience his love. And, and here's just, the, I, I have a doctorate in pity parties. Nobody can have a pity party. I could throw a pity party. I mean, it, I mean, it's off the wall when I throw a pity party. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. Nobody sees the sacrifice of Megan. I was preparing this message. The Holy Spirit really led in my life that if you feel underappreciated, you're deficient on your time with me. Because there's no way you could be spending time in the presence of God and not feel completely overwhelmed by the limitless love. Paul said, I pray that you would understand the height and the width and the depth of God's love for you. And here we have a God that so loved the world that he gave his son for the world. And the world will never know it because they're not in his presence. And unless we spend time in God's presence, we're going to constantly ask everybody else, do you want me? Because we don't understand that the one who created us wants us more than anyone else. Second question is this. Do you care about me? Do you care about me? Pastor, that sounds like the exact same question. Do you want me? Do you care about me? That's the same thing. No, no, no. Want me is love. Care about me is are you committed to my future? Not just do you love me, but are you actually committed to where I'm going in the direction of my life? Here's what the Bible says having children like. It says it's like an arrow in the hands of a warrior. Just because just I push analogies way too far. Do you know an arrow in the hand is useless? Throw, die. <laughs> I'm going to poke you. They ain't going to do nothing. The only way an arrow is effective is if it's placed in a bow. And not only do you have to place it in a bow, but you have to direct that arrow somewhere. And you can't just direct it, but you have to retract it or restrain it, or keep it from opportunities that it thinks it wants. Oh, you're preaching now. All my friends have their driver's license. Yeah, but you don't. All my friends get to go to sleepovers. Yeah, and the worst things happen at sleepovers. You can sleep over here. Anybody grew up with them? All my, if all your friends were to jump off a bridge, would you go with them? Come on now. I can, I can give you dad quotes for days. Restrain. And then this is for all the helicopter moms. An arrow's useless until you release it. Can, can, can I just preach for a second? Don't let 18 be the first time you release your kids. Don't let college, do you know why people turn up freshman years? I mean, lose their ever-loving mind and leave it for me at Freedom Conference to cast out everything that you caught spring break freshman year. And I blame you because you ratchet, but it's not just you, it's your parents. That they didn't let you make one doggone decision until you turn 18. And it's like, fly a little bit. They don't know how to fly. You ain't let them fly for 18 years. For a period, I'm going to begin you to make your own decisions where I'm close enough to catch you if you fall. 
so I can teach you how to be released, how to be restrained, and how to be directed. We're called by God. It says, train up a child in Proverbs 22, 6, in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So your job as a parent to say, hey, here's the direction you need to go. Here's who your friends need to be. More importantly, here's who your friends don't need to be. Can I teach you for a second? Teach you how to lose your kids? Don't know who their friends are. I'm not gonna say let them have bad friends. I'm just saying don't know who their friends are. Don't don't know who's speaking into life. The Bible says bad company corrupts all the work that you've done for 16 years. Where are you going? I'm gonna get in trouble here. What are you majoring in? I'm taking out student loans, so you can't tell me what. Well, listen, about them student loans. Uh, you're going to want to make sure you're excited to pay it back because <laughs> you got a degree that's helping you pay it back. Come on, this is exciting, funny, and painful at the same time because someone say, man, if I had somebody to direct me at the moments that I needed it the most. And then the last thing is you have to restrain. The Bible says this. It says, do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he won't die. I'm proof. (laughs) You shall beat him with a rod, not with an ironing cord. Don't slap him in the face. Don't punch him in the chest. Come on now, we're preaching on both sides of the Bible right now. It says you will deliver his soul from hell. Can we talk about whoopings for a second? Some of y'all grew up in a... (laughs) Pastor, I got that covered. And I just tell you this right now, I'm never going to put my kids through what I've been through. One of the things that we do... So we confuse one thing for another. Child abuse is not discipline. Some of you grew up in homes where you got slapped in the face, punched in the chest. You saw spousal abuse. Because of that, you've made an inner vow that's honestly not biblical. I will never hit my kid. Because you've erroneously connected abuse with discipline. Pastor, I, I'm not going to spank my kids because I don't want to teach my child violence. Okay, well, let's figure out what violence is. Here's what uh, Webster says. You know, Webster was a Christian, right? I just lied. I couldn't find my notes. Okay, Webster, definition. Violence is the use of physical force so as to injure, abuse, Damage or destroy. Here's what violence is. Physical force. I got that. I'm never using physical force. Well, a doctor uses physical force with a scalpel. Wow, that's so good. Can I talk about some of you crazy doctors? Y'all got saws. Y'all just be cutting people right down. And then clamps to hold them open. But we don't call that violence. We call that healing. Wow. Because there's a wound in there that I have to mend up. 
So the physical force doesn't dictate whether it's violence or discipline. It's the intention behind it. Am I doing this to injure, to harm, to destroy, or to cause damage? Or am I doing this to redirect you, to keep you from greater harm and greater pain and greater distraction on the other side? Here's what the Bible says. It says, he who spares his rod hates his son. Oh, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. I memorized this verse as a child. Got this one right before the whooping. You remember this foolishness? This hurts you a whole lot more than it hurts me. Yo, give me that stick. I was, let's test this out. You know what I used to hate? I used to hate the little dumb speeches after the whooping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough now. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> you didn't just get that whooping. <laughs> you all season up. <laughs> I told you, I'd, I'd hit her again. <laughs> Daddy's doing this because he loves you. It says it in the Bible. <laughs> I hate the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Can I talk for a second? If you let your three-year-old run into traffic, they're going to lock you up. If your two-year-old keeps on touching a hot stove over and over and over again, they're going to lock you up because they're saying you're a bad parent. Why are you a bad parent? Because you're not enforcing boundaries. Literally what you're saying is, hey, this is where it's safe for you to operate in. It's safe for you to be home by 10 o'clock. If you ain't home by 10, don't be whipping no 16-year-old. It's, it's done. You lost. It's over. <laughs> they looking you in the eye. <laughs> Whoop me. I wish you would. I remember one time my mom whooped me. I put four pairs of underwear on. She just made me pull my pants down with my, my underwear. She go, oh, psh, psh, I could have gone to Hollywood. Ah, 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 ah. She said, okay, pull your pants. I made one mistake, y'all. I laughed at the end. I, I was like, I was so close. My dumb tail like, ha, ha. She said, what was that? I said, ha, ha, ha. The worst whooping. I mean, that woman got anointed from God. A golden ruler came down from it. What? Somebody say, just preach the word. We don't need all this. I can't. Seriously, now, got to lean this plane. Y'all know God whoops you, right? And one of the things that people don't understand is because you have a father who loves you, he's going to whoop you. But because you don't know that the word of God says that God whoops you, you think it's the enemy. So you're praying against it, you're fasting against it, you're rebuking it, you're calling it the enemy, and God says, that ain't the enemy, that's me. Bend over. <laughs> I told you to stop being so prideful. I told you to surrender to my will for your life. I told you to be kind to your wife. As the Bible says in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 5, 
And have you forgotten the encouraging word? This is the encouraging word of God. God spoke to you as his children. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. So don't laugh when he whoops you because it gets worse. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he And he punishes each one he accepts. As you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own child. Whoever heard of a, ch- of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Well, you should come to 2021. It's a different world out here. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? God says, listen, if you love your child, whoop them and you'll save them from hell. Well, that's a lot, Pastor. Like, you're just going right into this one, aren't you? I got one message about whoopings a year, so here we go. God says, before you learn to submit to God, you learn to submit to your parents. And if you don't learn how to submit your will to your parent, it's going to be really difficult to understand that you have to submit your will to anyone. Pastor, I wasn't whooped as a kid, and look how I turned out. My point exactly. Uh, God says, listen, I'm going to direct you. Not all pain is evil. Not all pain is the enemy. Let's just pause for a moment. What's some pain you've been experiencing in your life? Is it the enemy? Or is it God trying to keep you from crossing a boundary? Last thing is this. You come and play. We're going to land this plane. Do you want me? Do you care about me? Do you like me? These sound very similar But there's a major difference. Do you want me is just, do you even notice me? Do you care about me is, do you care about the future of my life, where I'm going? But do you like me is, is there anything special about me that's different from everybody? Do you notice me, anybody, anything else more than other people in the world? Remember, you have the enemy chirping in the air. You're average. You're forgettable. You're not special. Proverbs 25, 2 says this. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. If I had time to preach this. God has hidden gifts, talents, greatness, genius inside of each and every one of us. However, greatness and genius that's not surrendered to God brings destruction and damage. So he says, I'm going to hide it in you, but I'm going to hide it so deep that you can only find it when you're surrendered and you're seeking me. One of the greatest responsibilities of a parent is to discover what God has hidden in your child. The gifts, the talents, the ability that God has called you to call out, to affirm, and to develop. And unfortunately, sometimes as parents, we get so obsessed with what our kids are not. Why couldn't you just, why couldn't you just, because we want clones of ourselves, Fully understanding that we're not clones of our parents. 
How about we just steward the gift that God's given us in this child and begin to, man, there's a way that you have with words. I know you're always talking back and you're always arguing with me. You think you have a way with words. Let me just talk for a second. I have a way with words. I was never disrespectful. I was one of the most smart mouth, always had something to say, had to have the life's work. Here's the deal, because the gifts of God's before they've been sanctified can actually manifest in sin. And as parents, we have to be mature enough to see through the rebellion and understand that when that is surrendered to God, oh, that's going to be a tool that releases you to the destiny that God has for you. Here comes the enemy whispering again. Book of Matthew, he's talking to the son of God, Jesus. And he says, if you are the son of God, attacking Jesus' idea, if you are, turn that stone to bread. If you are, cast yourself down and I'll give you the entire, he said, if you are that you say you are, I'll give you all of this. Abby, can I just talk for a second? I know you're 14, but if you were a man, you would sleep with her. I know you all that, but, but if you're really, you'll hit this. The enemy is going to be in your child's ear if you're cool, if you're man, if you're gorgeous, if you're this, if you're, he doesn't have new tactics. He's doing the, if you're this, if you're that. And do you know why Jesus didn't surrender to the ifs of the enemy? Because 40 days earlier, when Jesus was getting baptized, the whole sky cracked open. And God the Father said, that's my boy. And in him I am well pleased. Jesus had not done one miracle. He had not turned water into wine where he's run dead. And he had not hung on the cross yet. But yet God the Father was still pleased. And because he had the affirmation of his father echoing in his ear, when the enemy came in and said, if, 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 Jesus says, it is written because I know what my dad said about me. Do your children have so echoing in their ears, my dad and my mom said I'm handsome and I'm beautiful and I'm articulate and I'm gifted and I'm anointed and I have a great future so you can keep your ifs because I know who I am. Here we are as adults. If I could just get this net worth, if I could just get this degree, if this influential person will just accept me, if this, if, 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 if. Because so many of us are living without the parenting that God's called us to give. Pastor, how do I give something that I've never had? Here's what you have to understand. This might not be theologically correct. I'm going to hang on the edge of this one here. Your earthly family was always your second family, not your first. Yeah, that's your biological mom and dad, but you always belong to God. And he just gave you to your parents to steward you, but he never fully released you. And he said, regardless of what they've said over you, here's what I say over you, that you're mine. I want you. That's why you're a chosen generation. He said, you're royalty. I don't feel like royalty. Well, your daddy's a king, which makes you royalty. He said, you're holy. 
You may not be living holy right now, but your identity is holiness. He said, and you're special to me. And I made you to proclaim to the world my praises. He said, I've called you out of darkness. This is for someone. It doesn't matter how trapped in secret sin you are at this very moment. There is still a call of God on your life. He said, I've called you out of darkness and into my marvelous light. You know how they say you could cry over spilt milk? Sometimes you should cry over spilt milk like the milk really got spilled. But regardless of our past, we have a father that has secured our future. And he's saying, if you would lean into me, he said, I'll restore everything the enemy stole from your family. And I'll give you everything that you need to provide it for your future. Even though you didn't have it in your past. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. God, that we get to say, dear father. Sometimes we just use it as a salutation with the idea that you consider us your children. God, we're grateful that you, you want us, you care for us. You've set each and every one of us aside because we're special unto you. God, I pray that you'd make that real to us. Church, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Each and every one of us are a child of God. But some of us are estranged. Some of us, it's been a long time since you've been around your father. And you don't even know if he wants you back. tell you right now, there's nothing God wants more than to have you be a part of his family. He literally shed his blood so that you could be his own. So if you're in here, if you're in Baltimore, if you're watching online, right now you just feel alone. You feel like you've always been in it by yourself. Today God is saying, will you step into my family? Will you let me be your father? That's you right where you're sitting. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Father God. Say, Father God. Thanks for wanting me. Thanks for seeing me. Thanks for loving me so much that you gave your son, Jesus, to shed his blood so that I can live forever. Today, I give you all that I am. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my Father. And use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.